Hello, you're listening to Wine Blast. I'm Susie Barry and I'm here with my husband and fellow Master of Wine, Peter Richards. And this episode is the second part of an interview with us by Canadian wine writer Natalie McLean. Hello, yes, the, the sequel has landed. Uh, and in this one, we, we're going to be talking about lots of things, including our wine festival, the Wine GB Awards, uh, this podcast. Uh, could we get any more self-referential? Uh, English <laughs> wine, uh, why we think doing the Master of Wine qualification is a good thing. Um, Even though it gets a bit of flack. Yeah, and we answer questions like, you know, if you could share a wine with anyone, who would it be? And if we could be any type of wine, what would we be? Oh, I've got you pegged as a blue nun. Um, but, but maybe you'll surprise us. Anyway, uh, in this episode, we also discuss, don't we, filming wine TV, which we've done mm. for a couple of decades now. Oh, oh that makes mm. me feel old. Yeah. Uh, but, but before we begin, we wanted to mention our latest jaunts, partly by way of apologising for taking a mini break, how dare yeah. we, yeah. from yeah. the uh, the podcasting airwaves. Mini break seems like Bridget Jones driving off in a, in a, in a sort of vintage drop-top car, <laughs> you know, for a, for a dirty weekend. This was not anything no. like that. No, no, no. So, so, so I think, yeah... Like, you might have got could... down and dirty, but um, but for <laughs> yeah, very but different in a very reasons. Different way. Uh, I think we could sort of. I think we thought we could magically make the podcast happening while all this was going on and not really seeing each other for weeks, uh, um, juggling quarantining yeah. and testing and, and all that sort of stuff. And we it didn't, didn't really work think out. it through. Did it didn't we? work no. out. We didn't think it through. So sorry to anyone who's expecting their regular wine blast fix. Uh, we do always try our hardest to be as consistent as possible in our output, but on this occasion we just didn't quite yeah. manage it. So uh, hey ho. Uh, your excuses that you went to film in Holland. I is that did. Right? I did. Just yes. To pass the buck yeah. 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 No. Absolutely. Uh, so this was for Wine Masters Class, which is a, an educational series that mm. you can find on on all kinds of streaming services. So you, for example, mm, yeah. Amazon Prime uh, and on winemasters.tv website. Um, we filmed in Holland, mm. as you know. Uh, we covered, gosh, we were filming about um, talking about Washington and Oregon, Provence, New Zealand, the Northern Rhone, you know, and a couple of others as well. Um, but it was really, it was really fun. Um, and I discovered... One of, the, on. my, one of my discoveries on this one. They eat a very special cake on the King of Netherlands' birthday. So I got in this morning, what, the first morning, and they said, oh, we've got something for breakfast. And they're like these, I mean, breakfast we're talking here, enormous cream-filled sort of, if you imagine a vanilla slice, but filled with really rich cream and then topped with this bright orange icing. Obviously, it's Netherlands, it's got to be orange. Yeah. Um, and... I thought that was actually the best breakfast I think I've ever eaten. You see, you're talking Mr. Kipling, and I thought you were going to come up with some outstanding revelation about Washington and Oregon. No, 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 sorry, sorry. Rose. Cakes, you're talking, cakes you're top talking everything. Orange cake. Seriously, it was It sounds gore. a bit weird to me, and, you know, I'll be honest, it sounds a bit confected. It wasn't, it was so, it was, it was made from a local bakery. I think ah. some of them are a bit confected because there's a standard sort of cake. Mm. Anyway, it was... Absolutely and you, delicious. But you also, in terms of food, you also brought home that cheese. I brought home a big talking chunk of orange, cheese. Talking about orange food. It was orange again. <laughs> it was probably orange Everything's cheese, orange. Everything's orange that in the Netherlands. It was unbelievably it good. It was gorgeous. And it's from Frischland, which is where we were we were filming. Yeah. And I think it was sort of called something, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, yeah. but Frischroem. Okay. Um, but it's, it's this Sorry orange cheese that looks a bit like mimolette, but it's it's yeah. it's creamier and it almost tastes like white chocolate but in a cheese sense I and mean, it was just yeah, you know what sometimes that's beautiful. a really good way of saying it actually beautiful, that sort of beautiful. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah but anyway, um the, the downside other... of course was the uh, of the whole thing was not the cheese not the cake not the filming the testing oh my okay, goodness okay go on give us a 
very short summary of what you had to oh, do. Oh, goodness me. Well, it took me about three days to work out what I needed to do. But <laughs> yeah. then I had to I had a test here before we before I went. I had a test at Heathrow. I had a test in Holland. And then I had three tests when I got back. So how so many is that? Six, six, six tests total. In how many days? Yeah. In, I don't know, 10, 10 days, maybe 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 two weeks. So you yeah. were yeah, I was of the probably, most I, I knew I did not have COVID. I really, well, I really couldn't have, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, I, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's, it's pretty intense. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Anyway, anyway, yeah. that was me. But you're just back was it from worth something. It, I suppose, is the question. Of course. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I suppose yeah. we're very lucky to be able to do this. Yeah. Stuff. Really, really lucky. Really. I'm not moaning about it. It was just yeah. kind of a bit, a bit. Um, it's just a new reality, isn't it? Yeah. A bit strange. A bit yeah. strange. Anyway, yeah. you're back from Georgia. Yep. Filming a new wine and travel show. Yeah. Talking about strangeness. Very exciting. Uh, it's called The Wild Side of Wine. Um, and the idea is to go on an adventure um, to wine places that are just totally off the beaten track with, with sort of. Surprising, eye-opening stories to tell, crazy people talking to, doing fun things. I mean, the idea really is just to focus on not just the wine, taking the wine as the lead, but also that, you know, focus on the food, the politics, Mm. the culture, the history, just having some fun with wine, really. Um, And Georgia was just the best place to start, you know, to film the show. And why specifically? I mean, um, you know, I've been to Georgia, I know what it's like, but um, why would you say it was the best place to start? We'd originally thought, well, let's let's go to South Africa and Chile and do some kind of off-the-beaten stuff there that that people wouldn't expect. But actually, Georgia, the more we talked around Georgia... It's the mm. place where everything began, mm. you know. Uh, you know, to give you one example, uh, just in terms of the filming, you know, we got to stand on the site where the oldest evidence, the oldest archaeological evidence of winemaking has been unearthed, which dates back to about, to the Neolithic period, so 6,000 BC, so 8,000 years ago. And we ate a Neolithic-style picnic using grains that they would have eaten back then uh, and, of course, drinking a wine in the style that they would have drunk back then, which is very much similar to the modern amber Every skin contact Georgian yeah. wine that you see today, yeah, um, and not just that, you know, there was there was. Ne- I'm just a sort of Neolithic on. picnic. You think, wow, how do you know? How do they even know what anybody yet there? Well, because they have archaeological evidence, evidence. of the grains, you know, millet yeah. and certain yeah. types of wheat and and Crunchy. barley and stuff. So you can put this stuff together more yeah. or less. I mean, we had some yeah. some jazzy stuff as part of it as well. I bet you did. Um, but but it was it was pretty faithful, and it was yeah. just you know just to be able to feel. It was more yeah. of a feeling. Feeling. Yeah. So we were standing yeah, yeah. there, and there was a ridge nearby, a sort of hill uh, with a castle on top but you know that ridge would have been um the archaeological expert was telling us would have been a dense forest in neolithic times where and that's where the people would have found the first wild eurasian grapevines growing up trees and they are the vines that would become the ancestors of pretty much every modern wine vine in existence so that's that, that bottle of wine you you saw exactly where it originally so, and, and, and came was, from what was more is as we were having this neolithic style picnic the most epic thunderstorm kind of barreled over this ridge <laughs> thunder and lightning all around as are, we discussed are you just, are, this is just special effects isn't it no it's not it's not a green screen so <laughs> this is the thing you know you couldn't make it up we were discussing ancient wine culture and then suddenly you get this kind of like the gods start speaking to you the heavens were opening you know and i was expecting picnic my, down cameras out my 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 amber well, no, the cameras just kept rolling. We yeah. were like, what do we do? What do we do? This yeah. is like, very expensive cameras. And they're getting, <laughs> you know, we just kept going. And it was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was expecting to be electrocuted or my wine to go. <laughs> you know, it was just a sort of very primal, quite magical moment. Yeah. But then I'm also, be, I'm also reminded that, you know, you cannot be English and have a picnic without it raining. That's... <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so you know, there's true. a ta- there's a case of taking the boy out of England, but oh, you know, but maybe so- they put it on specially for you. <laughs> I mean, I, I think when I went, I, I remember it. Yeah, I, just, it was amazing food, mm. brilliant people, mm. um, a really really eye opening place. I mean, not necessarily what you would expect, but then I don't mm. know what I did expect. I'm not yeah. sure what 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 I expected, but it was amazing. No, I think I think it's one of those countries maybe, and that's why it makes such a big impression that maybe you don't know. You have got some vague ideas. You haven't got too many preconceptions, but it just blows you away. I mean, you know, I was definitely, all of us, me and the crew were just blown away and, and we all left saying we're definitely going to go back very soon. I mean, the, it's just the way the people are, I think, for me, that they, they seem to have got their priorities right, you know, and I think wine is just one example of that. You know, they celebrate life. They they, yeah. they sing lots. It's the singing, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you they, can be sitting having dinner and, and they just start in, singing the, the in this so we had incredible polyphony. Amazing, amazing um, filming uh, of, of a great supra, their, their feast. Uh, they make time to get together. They're, they're a really social society. They're very tolerant as well. One thing you notice, they are massively multi-ethnic. So mm. many different religions and cultures there. But they, mm. they rub alongside each other really, really well, you know, at a time when that's not the case in most other places. And, you know, of course, the history is fascinating. You know, not just the ancient stuff either, but, you know, for example, um, you know, we filmed in this kind of monumental Soviet wine palace. Um, you know, it was our last shoot of the trip. And, and just as we were finishing, there was just a, a total power cut. Everything went off. We were, we were, t- we were plunged into darkness, um, at which and- point the camera, one of the cameramen piped up and said, well, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> so my, this was in a winery? Well, it's a winery. It's a kind of winery, wine admin. I mean, it's just, it's just enormous. Yeah, yeah. I imagine kind of, Greenwich Palace. And you were in a no, sort of a like cellar somewhere. And that was, but so, so it was built in the Soviet era. So yeah. it was a Soviet-style kind of sparkling wine production facility, but also a, yeah. a, a just impressive building. Um, that's where we were filming because we were talking about Soviet stuff. And, and interview, my interview, he actually said, when, when the lights went out, he said, oh, just a, a good old-fashioned Soviet power cut. <laughs> <laughs> just like old times. And oh. the, the, but the director, funny enough, he wanted to carry on because we, there was a couple of bits we hadn't done. So what we ended up doing is we did the last bit of filming with no visuals, just the audio, in the pitch black inside this kind of like looming Soviet wine palace. I mean, it was just absolutely surreal. You, you're very lucky, Mr. Richards, aren't you? Yeah, what, I, wow. I you mean, know, I, I was also, I was also... You were lucky actually to get back there was work, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> on on Rich Note. Yeah, so that's not to do with the filming, really. But, you know, the, the, I, I think I'm lucky for lots of reasons We're on this shoot. You know, not just anyone who's followed the Instagram will see that I managed to survive drinking what can only be described as sort of vivid green firewater. You were forced to drink it, of course. Well, couldn't, that, couldn't have yes, not. I, I was. And actually, it turned out to be really nice. What it was, was it? it was, I was very reticent. One of those things that during filming, you think, is this? It's gonna, like something from know. Harry Potter. It was tarragon infused chacha, and chacha mm. is this Georgian grape brandy they make with the, mm. the skins left over. And actually, it was really lovely. Oh. And they use tarragon in so many things in, in Georgia. I do it's, like tarragon. I, yeah, but they, seriously, yeah. you should explore. But their use of herbs and spices is just amazing. It is there. true. That's but true. But they even use it in the booze. Um, the car broke down, um, uh, you know, at a critical moment. Um, we, we risked imminent arrest. Uh, as we tended to break the curfew in the evening, they've still got curfew oh, going God. on there. Yes, yeah, um, gosh, yeah. You know, but 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 mainly the reason I feel lucky about getting back was because I was on a Belavia flight via Minsk the very same day that that Ryanair flight was forced to land by a MiG fighter jet. Uh, and that, up, that, that poor dissident journalist was was hauled off. Yeah. You know, and now Belavia, which is the, the Belarusian airline, is, is being banned from the UK. So you know. 
This is proper skin of teeth. Proper proper You're very filming, lucky to be here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, we will look forward to seeing the results. Mm. Um, obviously, in due course. Um, any idea when, when, and where? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, sometime later this year, um, it will go out on streaming services, but also hopefully on you know national broadcasters around the world. So you know, the idea is to to reach a, a very mainstream audience, mm. make 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 making mine fun, and it's just as much about the travel and the other stuff. So yeah, so keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, um, and we'll we'll mention any more updated. details. We'll we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll say on here. Yeah. Okay, so all of that was a very roundabout way. Of saying sorry, very roundabout. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for this Have we little. Um, the dog I, I, ate my I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, they're thinking. <laughs> just get on with it. Um, so this is for yeah. We, we've had a bit of an interruption to our, our schedule. Our normal services now mm. though resumed. Um, so this is a bonus episode featuring the second part of us being interviewed by Natalie McLean, which was originally published on her Unreserved Wine Talk podcast on the third of March, twenty twenty one. Uh, the prize mentioned in the episode has been won, so no need to enter that. But you can find her watch party video on YouTube, which we will put a link to on our show notes, won't we? Yeah, yeah. And that's useful because Natalie, like in, in the first part of the interview, does make reference to, to some photos that we shared with her unwisely, uh, probably. <laughs> well, I but we'll also, we'll also put those photos on our show notes too, so you, or, you know, or just use your imagination. Um, don't forget, you can also find our interview with Natalie on Series 2, Episode 9 uh, of Wine Blast. Uh, but for now, here is Unreserved Wine Talk. Have a thirst to learn about wine? Do you love stories about wonderfully obsessive people, hauntingly beautiful places, and amusingly awkward social situations? Well, that's the blend here on the Unreserved Wine Talk podcast. I'm your host, Natalie McLean, and each week I share with you unfiltered conversations with celebrities in the wine world, as well as confessions from my own tipsy journey as I write my third book on this subject. I'm so glad you're here. Now pass me that bottle, please, and let's get started. Welcome to episode 118. Why are podcasts one of the best ways to learn about wine? How do English or British sparkling wines compare to champagne, and why should you seek them out? Why is the Master of Wine qualification valuable beyond the studies required? And what's behind the exceptionally low pass rate for the Master of Wine exam? This week on the Unreserved Wine Talk podcast, our guests Susie Berry and Peter Richards are back for part two of this lively conversation that we started last week, and they have more colorful stories to share with you from their brilliant careers. I've got a bonus for you. In addition to this podcast, I'd love for you to join me for the premiere watch party of the video of this conversation that I'll be live streaming for the very first time on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube on Wednesday, March 10th at 7 p.m. Eastern. The video will show you the pictures and other visual elements that we discuss in this podcast. And in fact, we jump right into a screen sharing of different photos from their career at the beginning of the podcast. It's like the Netflix version of the podcast. Plus, you can talk to me, ask me questions in real time as we watch it together. You can also see what other people thought of this conversation and the answers to their questions. This is the Winchester Festival that we're looking at now. I love the uh, little 
tattoos or whatever that you've put on your face and definitely the fun atmosphere. Now you had to move this online due to COVID this year. How did that work? Yeah, so so the wine festival we started 2014. It's a, it's an annual festival that takes place at the end of November. And Winchester's lucky. Winchester is the historic capital of England. It's a very very ancient city. It's beautiful, lovely to visit at Christmas. We have the most wonderful Christmas market and ice rink, and the cathedral's just magical. One of the buildings we have is the Guildhall, and the photo that you've got up now is at the Guildhall. We have these wonderful large spaces, historic, beautiful perfect place to have a wine festival and especially in winter you need it to be indoors in a nice place the photo before you showed was actually a summer festival which we did which was a bit of a spin-off that was another festival in winchester that we took a bar from we took a wine festival, of a wine wine festival bar. bar but it's um, always the same yeah, yeah the idea is have the, fun the big one's the festival in in november yeah. and yeah last year we just couldn't believe that we couldn't do it it's one of those strange feelings isn't it you think we're not going to be able to do this and we've done it for five or six years now every year and we've built up this lovely following of people who almost feel like they own it now going back to what we were saying before about people walking in on the first time we ever did it and not having a clue what to do now they all walk in and they've done it and they know what they're doing and they're bringing um, a minibus they, of their friends yeah, they, and family yeah. so that's but then we couldn't do it so we thought we personally had the choice either we do nothing or we try and make something happen that gives people something to look forward to and a bit of fun and we knew it wasn't going to be the same it's never going to be the same as getting everybody together for the festival but we were determined that we would do something and we did you know so we took it online it was successful so that was lovely yeah, yeah. Um, we got lots of people joining in on it and um, I mean essentially what we did was we, we asked all our exhibitors if they wanted to do their own masterclass they videoed a masterclass and then we played it all out live on the day we had one big day and we had sort of people doing all sorts of different things so they videoed themselves all over the country whether it's Bristol or Oxford or wherever you know and obviously the people watching they could have ordered the wines in advance to taste along so it was, it was something completely different, a completely different model. But, you know, we're all getting used to slightly different things now, aren't we? And, and what's interesting is how many of these will stick. Obviously, some of these are really positive things. They're great things. The fact we can probably travel a bit less and talk to winemakers in New Zealand and have a tasting with them is fantastic. There's still nothing, though, that substitutes, that really replaces the joy of getting together. As Susie was saying, the people at the festival almost feels like family now. It's a, it's a kind of 2000 strong family. So it's not the same. Equally, there's a value in being positive and making things happen and bringing a smile to people's faces and helping, frankly, also our exhibitors sell some wine. So, you know, we had everything from Kinsey de Naval Port to Louis Jadot Burgundy to Eraseries, uh, Chile, wines. lots of English wines. And people could taste along. And, and, you know, we actually had more participation than we could have had at the real event because obviously that's limited by numbers and venue capacity, capacity yeah. uh, we have more people logging on which was fantastic and obviously there's still the videos are still up online oh they can still watch them people can still go to yeah it's on the website is thewinefestival.co.uk okay We've still got the new ones up. So the the online masterclasses, they're sort of 25-minute masterclasses. They're still up there, so you can go and check them out. They're quite fun. But yeah, who knows where this will go? Hopefully, things will be back to normal soon. If not, you know, maybe there's a hybrid model that we can all adopt. But yeah, I think... I think everybody's learning all the time, aren't they, really, with um, the whole situation? I think, you know, COVID has been an accelerant that has, in particular, moved the wine industry ahead a decade in terms of technology and online. So... In some ways, it's been good, but of course, we don't wish for all the uh, the negatives and so on. So I love this little photo album that I have here. Okay, so you're both speakers. Is that Oz? That's Oz. That's Oz, Oz. Clark. This okay. is one of the lunches for the Wine GB Awards. 
I'm a chair of the Wine GB Awards and Oz is a co-chair. So this was a lunch in Wimbledon at Canazaro House where we were announcing all the award-winning wines. So it's a fantastic competition. I absolutely love it. Going back, though, to the whole situation last year and that continues, we normally would judge this in London with probably a dozen tasters. And it's all, you know, sort of 300 English wines, whether sparkling still, whatever. And this year, obviously, we couldn't do that because we couldn't get people together in London and that number of people. So it ended up, and this was one of my positives from last year, that we did it at a winery in Sussex called Ashling Park which is beautiful. And it was just three judges, Oz, myself and our colleague and friend, Rebecca Palmer from Corny and Barrow. And we had a week of all just judging wines in what was effectively like an aircraft hangar, but an open fronted one. And the weather was stunning. I mean, she sold um, it to me as a hardworking week. <laughs> it, it, was, like it was basically it was a holiday beautiful moments on the a, Riviera. In a, in a difficult year. Yeah, she even had yeah. a personalised portal. I did a personalised portal. You had your own toilet. <laughs> I'm going to translate for North America here, but one, one of those, those mobile the, the, the builders yeah. have, but yeah. it had Susie Barry and W on there. <laughs> a little star as well. Next, the same no. treatment now, Natalie. You know, so where's my personal life toilet? Where's my personal toilet? <laughs> yes, exactly. Why not? And Peter, you've also been a speaker at various events, leading tastings. You do the same, Natalie. I think that that buzz we all get as wine communicators from being with people and talking with them and enjoying wine and raising a glass together and hearing people's questions and trying to help them, hearing people's concerns, hearing when they don't like wines and their complaints. You know, it's what makes wine human. It's what I think gets us most excited as wine communicators. There's nothing like the buzz of a live crowd and having fun with wine, is there? No, exactly. And the wine, it's fun because all your jokes start to land near the end of the evening or maybe midway through, depending on how much they're consuming. Yeah, you can goodness. force people to laugh at your jokes. Uh, but that, <laughs> exactly. that one was actually funny enough on Riviera. We've, we've done a lot of consultancy for various different people. And that was on a Riviera wine cruise. So you were cruising, I think, from memory serves along the Rhine. And you've got those amazing, as you know, the steep terraces of the Rhine with the vineyards on. And you're tasting the wine that's coming from these vineyards as you cruise along in a boat. It doesn't get more magical. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. This is Wine Blast. Here we go. Let's get the title up there. Yeah, that's great. I love the photos of you, too. You guys really interact off each other. But yeah, you've done so well. When did you launch your podcast? So it had been about two years in the thinking, Natalie. I don't know how long you took. It takes a lot to get to that point, doesn't it, of actually launching. It really Heavens does. There. You know you know what it takes. And I think often people don't quite understand what goes into a proper podcast. But anyway, so we'd been thinking about it for about two years. And we got to the point, I think it was when lockdown happened in March last year, we were sort of ready to launch in about May. We knew what we were going to be doing. We had sort of six episodes planned. We'd recorded a couple of them and we were ready to launch in May. And as soon as lockdown happened, we just kind of went, this is crazy. We just need to get launched. Get on with it while people are at home, while we've got time to actually put towards it. And so we did it in April last year. And a lot of the first episodes of Wine Blast were to do with talking to people in all sorts of parts of the world, but about their situation given lockdown Mm. and given coronavirus. So whether it was a winemaker or a wine retailer or whoever. So we did these sort of little shorts of those kind of people. And we kind of put the real wine blast slightly on hold. And obviously we're back with that now. Yeah, we kind of launched in tandem with the pandemic, I'm afraid. 
But it was fun because, you know, you would, again, trying to make something positive happen. Although it was funny, wasn't it? Because, you know, we're positive newbies compared to you, Natalie. You've been going since 2018, I think. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm ancient. No, you're not ancient, (laughs) but you do a brilliant job. Exactly. (laughs) You know, it is definitely, it was something that, you know, we've been lucky enough to do lots of broadcasting work like you have. So we've been lucky enough to do lots of telly and, and filming and radio as well. But we definitely, for us... You know, when we finished Saturday Kitchen after 12 years of doing lots of TV, we thought, actually, let's try and use this time to explore things that we're passionate about. And we definitely felt that radio or podcasting was a medium that suited wine so well. As you've said, it's, it's a very intimate medium where you need trust. You need to use your imagination. And I think TV can be a bit passive. You sit there and you receive the images and it's therefore hard to make wine come across. Whereas with podcasting and radio, you're already using those mental powers of imagination being such an intimate medium to kind of be there with the host. So we thought this is something we've wanted to do for a while. So yeah, Susie said we took a while to sort of build up to it. But in the end, it kind of went. And then suddenly, we, you know, it's been the most wild, crazy ride. And it's been so fun. And as you know, you know, we're doing this. This is podcasting we find so collaborative. And wine is collaborative. And you put that together with podcasting. Podcasting is collaborative in a way that I've never experienced before, Mm. though. You know, people come to you like you coming to us and saying, we go on your show, you'd like to come on our show, which is fantastic. I've never experienced that, not not even just in wine, but in anything I've ever worked (laughs) in. People genuinely want each other's podcasts to do well. And that's the spirit you do it in. And you think that's so refreshing and really lovely. That's right. It's not a zero-sum game. The rising tide lifts all the boats because the more we can make wine lovers aware that podcasts are a great way to learn about wine, the better for all of us. Because as you know, we were talking earlier just before we hit record, people listen to more than one podcast, so they've got a playlist. So collaboration Absolutely. makes so much sense. Make it all about wine. <laughs> yeah, and, and then because it's so intimate, it's so personal that each of us has our own style of talking about wine. And there's so many different ways to learn about wine, to communicate about wine, to listen to wine, to enjoy wine. There's room for those different styles. And I think that it seems like early days as well in podcasting, doesn't it? Podcasting is growing Absolutely. massively. Oh, yes. I don't know what the stats are, but there's, I don't know, 30 million or billion blogs, but there's less than a million podcasts, all subjects. But if you look at those that are still active, it's more like maybe two or 300,000. It's in its infancy still. And if you look at other stats, most people finish either like 75% or more of a podcast that can be 30 minutes to an hour. The engagement is unlike anything you see on social media. Sure, yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's an interesting because podcasting almost feels like an extension of social media in a funny way. It's true. But at the same time, the rules are very different and it feels much more wholesome. It feels more positive. It feels more supportive and collaborative. There's a sense of community, isn't it, between you as the presenter and your audience. Of course, you're recording this. I mean, we're lucky we've got both of us in the house and so we're doing that. But, you know, you, feel, you can feel a bit isolated. And when you do TV, you definitely feel like you're one side of the screen and your audience on the other. With podcasting, that sort of Division blurs, doesn't it? And the feedback, it's a wonderful conversation. It's like being in this big extended community Mm. and family where you're all sharing stuff. And sometimes people might disagree with what you're saying and they'll say it, or they might do the opposite and say something nice. But either way, it just feels like this ongoing conversation, which is so lovely. And with wine, you need that because there is never that sort of set hard and fast. This is it, gone, done. It's always, wine is a conversation and podcasts tap into that beautifully and brilliantly. And I think that's why it's so exciting. Absolutely. I think the last picture. Oh, yes. So I want to mention this right now again. Here's your wonderful book on English wine that 
our viewers and listeners can win. So we have the book on English wine, we have the polishing cloth, the linen polishing cloth, and of course, that cheeky apron. Do you like it fresh and racy? So (laughs) whether you're listening to this on the podcast or live on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, basically just tag us and tell us what wine you're enjoying lately. Bonus points if you tag some wine-loving friends and tag us and use the hashtags WineBlast and Matacants. So let's talk just a little bit about English wine, because we're not as familiar with it here in North America. Give us a sense of the scope or the size of English wine and what's happening lately. Well, I mean, I should let you handle this, but I have boned up on a few figures. But the key thing to say is it's so exciting. Things really happen fast in the world of wine, do they? So to see the category of English and Welsh wine emerge like it has done over the past decade, not much more, with the quality it has and the excitement and the diversity has been thrilling, you know, because this for wine is a world which moves slowly. It's one harvest a year. It's hard to really have an entire category emerge from virtually nothing and take the wine world by storm, which I think is what English and Welsh wine is is doing. Mm. So the vineyards quadrupled since the year 2000. It's now about three and a half thousand hectares, which is in the global scheme of things it's nothing it's It's 0.1% of the global vineyard it's about 10% of Champagne's vineyard for example it's two-thirds sparkling wine so sparkling wine is the main thing that we do and production has averaged in the last five years about seven and a half million bottles it's sort of funny when you say it averages because we went from something (laughs) like five-ish million to 14 million in 2018 and then you go back down a bit so I mean, it's extreme because we have such a kind of marginal climate. You know, if you get a great vintage, it's a whopper, but mostly, you know, it's not. So actually that seven is a strange average, if you know what I mean, because most years are not that average at all. I think probably we'll end up in the next few years, depending on how good the harvests are. I mean, around about 10, probably, won't we? 10 million bottles. Yes. And, and, you know, again, you, you say champagne's what, 300 million, isn't it? Well, this year it's Average less, but no, production or releases. Yeah. So it's a very, very small category still. But it's interesting because, you know, exports are really starting to grow. And I think that producers see this as a really good target. It's about 10% of production at the moment is exported, which is not very much, but it's a lot more than, than what it was. was. And interestingly enough, the top market, I think, is Denmark. But beyond that, the second and third markets tied in second place are the US and Canada. So, a lot of the stuff that does get exported does come your way. So, you know, you can find these things. And what people might look out for are traditional method sparkling wines, definitely. Um, they tend, as a terribly broad generalisation, they have an incredible acidity to them, but it's a very specific style of really beautifully tangy acidity. And then I always think they have a kind of an orchard character sort of an apples and pears in the summer afternoon kind of feel that seems very English. And they are very high quality. I mean, obviously, then within that, you've got your Blanc de Blanc, you've got Blanc de Noir, you've got non-vintage, you've got Prestige Cuvée, there's Rosé, obviously. So there's everything. I think that that is still where we do the best job. There are then people entering the market with more kind of Charmat methods of sparkling wines and very intriguing packaging. But then also the area that is really coming to the fore and seeing some real interest are the still wines because we've had some good harvests. So if England 
hot enough, then we get some great opportunities to make still wines in every colour. Certainly the Chardonnays are looking world-class. Pinot Noir is starting to really shine as well. So And some lovely rosé. And some lovely rosé and some even some sweets. I mean, funnily enough, there are parallels you could draw between some areas of Canada as well. No one will ever beat Canada's sweet wines. We're not, we're not doing ice wine particularly well yet. We won't send you all our cold. <laughs> it's a trade-off. You know, you know, all these areas where I think we're pushing the, the, the climatic extremes. Yes. You know, but cool climate, cool climate winemaking is so exciting, you know. It is. It's edgy. It's nervy and edgy, yeah. You yeah. get that yeah. extended growing season. There's often an intensity to the wines because of that extended growing season that is really, really interesting. And I think that these days we're looking for wines that are more refreshing and more gastronomic and lower in alcohol. And these kind of areas like England, like Canada, certain areas of Canada, it's hard to generalise, isn't it? It's what can be delivered by these, these, these kind of areas. And, and that's exciting. Absolutely. And I loved Susie's description of English sparkling wines. How would you differentiate them from champagne? Because people make comparisons all the time because you're so close, but also the limestone soils that sort of thing, the dominance of sparkling, but how would you differentiate them for consumers? It's very difficult to generalise a differentiation. And I think particularly now, Natalie, I mean, there may have been in the recent past, it might have been easier to differentiate them. But I think the quality of English wines now, sparkling wines, is on such a par with champagne. It kind of depends who makes them. Say, like, we might know somebody who makes an incredible sort of barrel aged and top quality grapes and lees aging for ages. So they've got a very rich style of fizz. We might know somebody else in England who is making the crispest, most aperitif style um, in a very lean and taut kind of way. So I think it is hard to say there's a definite, I know that's English and I know that champagne, but I would come back to the style of the acidity be the big thing for me. It's spine tingling in a great English sparkling wine. It almost teeters on too much. But when they're just at the right side of too much and they're not too much, it's really Mm. thrilling. Mm. Having said that, a great champagne is something that you just relax into and so self-assured. You know, the the experience is there Mm. to make something that you feel so confident about drinking. There can be an element of sort of um, rusticity is going to sound wrong. There's an element of unbridled intensity sometimes to English fizz, which can be good and bad. And I think it's partly, as we've said, you know, the, the intensity of the acidity, which is like biting into a beautiful Cox's apple or something, you know, from a cool climate. But allied to this very, very long growing season because it's cooler and also very low yield. So I think if you look at the average yield in the UK, it's much, so much lower champagne, than yeah. champagne. Yeah. The combination of all of those factors means you get an intensity in the wines. And sometimes that can be too much. But there is often that kind of edgy energy to a lot of English wines, which you can just slightly pick out. Champagne will often have the edges will be smoothed over. It will be much more self-assured and polished, whereas the English wine will often just be that that kind of unruly child in the corner, which is slightly misbehaving, but also just really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There's so much more I want to cover, but let's just touch briefly on the Master of Wine program because you're both Masters of Wine, first time you've passed it on the first try, which most people don't. Talk to us a bit about what it is for people who don't know what this program is and why the pass rate is so low. You've said yourselves, more people have been to outer space than who are MWs, which is, I love that comparison. So Slightly crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, space is pretty crowded these days. Actually, so. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Well, with Elon Musk, he'll be wanting to do an MW. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if he gets his way. It's, yes, yes, it's a low pass rate. 
I think the Institute is trying really hard to get that pass rate up without compromising standards, you know, and I think that the value of the MW is, I think, not just what you learn, even though that's massive, because I think in wine, it's quite easy to think, you know, I get it, I understand it, but there's always more things to learn. So I think what the MW teaches you is to be humble and to sort of say, I'm never going to know it all and be aware of the limitations of what you know. It teaches you to question everything, ask questions, questions, questions which I definitely learned from doing it, you know, just ask, you know, if somebody says, well, we use clone so-and-so, 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 why? Because it gives us a better yield. Why does it give you a better yield? You know, it's a keep asking the questions, which I always used to take an answer and go, okay, great, lovely, and wrote it down. But now, you know, I wouldn't do that. I would go, no, I don't, I don't understand. I need to know a bit more and a bit more. It makes you really question everything. I think also just um, an analytical sorry. mindset to everything quantifying qualitative as well it's a way of thinking and i think that often you don't know that that kind of instruction is going to help you but it really really does and i think that it's a way of thinking about yourself and about wine which is tremendously healthy and positive it's a life-changing experience and i think that it's difficult to sum it up in one package as to why it helps i mean going back to why it's so difficult to pass i mean i think it's a lot of study. And if people are working full time, that's really hard to give enough time to the study. And it's not only a lot of study, it's a lot of study of lots of different areas. So for anybody listening who, who's not familiar, you have to sit a paper on viticulture and vinification and business of wine and contemporary issues. You have to take three tasting papers, one on white wines, one on red wines, one on whatever that you know it could be a mixed bag and those are all blind you then have to pass well, I think it's a research paper now isn't it? it used to be a dissertation it's a research paper so there's so many elements to it that you have to invest an awful lot of money time energy um sacrifice family life perhaps I think this makes it all very difficult it's not just that what you're doing is difficult it's everything around it that makes it very hard and I think therefore getting a high pass rate is unlikely to ever happen. I think it will go up, but it's never going to be really high. Mm. And I think, I think it's, as we said, it's not about saying, I know everything about wine. It's quite the opposite. It's, it's realizing your limitations and saying, I'm open to that, but how do I learn effectively? And how, more importantly, can I help others? Because a lot of the MW program is about altruism, is about helping other people. This code of conduct you sign up to is, I will do this properly. And I have a responsibility and we all take that very seriously. So you mentor other people through the program and help them if they have difficulties. It is a distance learning program. You're not sort of super hands-on, but there is that wonderful feeling of being able to help other people. We, for 10 years after we finished, ran a Master of Wine student boot camp. So we sort of tutored, people came to Winchester. It wasn't us who called it a boot camp. It was christened that by some of the students. <laughs> uh, we were just, we were asked to do it by some students we'd studied with who hadn't got through and it was terrifying because we had to stand up in front of probably some of the best tasters in the world and supposedly tutor them. And it wasn't really us tutoring them. It was us working with them to work out the best strategies to help them get the best out of themselves. And that we found tremendously rewarding. And that's what we tried to keep going with. That's what we feel a responsibility beholden on us as MWs is to help other people. And that can be, you know, helping a Master of Wine student to helping the person on the street who just wants your help, who doesn't really care about, just wants a recommendation of something they can enjoy that's really simple. Actually, that's something we should say, though. You know, mm. When we were studying the Master of Wine, we were given so much yeah. help by people. And you think that is incredible. You know, people's time and energy and 
I was blown away, really, yeah. by the generosity of certain people that helped us pass, really. And I think that that's one of the things we talked about not being afraid to make mistakes earlier as being a good teaching method. Well, it's the same. Doing the MW forces you to learn to ask for help. And that really puts you in good stead, I think, in the wine world, because we all need to help each other. You can't just be doing stuff by yourself. This is a collaborative endeavor. And that sort of really helps cement that understanding. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. Anyone listening is thinking of doing the MW, we would recommend it from the rooftops. It is the most fantastic journey of discovery about yourself, about wine. And we would absolutely, the one thing you have to do is just make sure you have enough time to devote to it. But it's just one of the magical ways of really discovering wine. And we were on the course with quite a few people who weren't in the wine trade at all, lawyers, architects, and they were just doing it for the love of wine. And <laughs> they must you know, be mad. it was just, you know, so if anyone's out there, think you're doing it, get in touch if they want to. But if not, come on, just think, you know, this is an option. It it's great fun. That's great. Great encouragement. And so just a couple last questions. If you could share a bottle of wine with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would that be? I don't know if it'd be the same or different for each of you, but who would be at the table? It'll definitely be different for each of us. It would definitely be different. <laughs> <laughs> that's red. So you should see the kind of books that he reads and I read, Natalie. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> I did think a little bit about this. And do you know, this is a really random choice, but I'd love to sit down and share a bottle of wine with Kristen Scott Thomas. Because I just think she's the most beautiful, um, intriguing, I think, I imagine very intelligent. I think she's a fantastic actress. She sort of flies under the radar and I just think she's amazing. I loved her in The English Patient. She was brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, just sitting and being able to ask her things, it would be amazing. And I know it's, it's not an obvious choice, but yeah, I like it. I think she's fabulous. Wonderful. So I'm going to have to do something to contrast with that, but I'm just reading the final instalment in the Hilary Mantel trilogy, actually. So Henry VIII, what an option for a man from history, if I'm thinking history. But talking about people from history who like their wine, so we'd have something to talk about. Alexander the Great, how cool would that be? Uh, he definitely liked his drink, didn't he? Thomas Jefferson, you know, some of these people from history. Jefferson think, Bottles. You know, he clearly him. took an interest in food and drink. He would be just fascinating to talk to. I don't know, someone like that. But it's an endless question because there'd be so many people, really, when you start thinking about it, aren't there? That'd be quite a rowdy dinner table party. Just... <laughs> Henry VIII and Kristen Scott Thomas. Kristen and I would be quietly in the corner, enjoying our glasses of sunset. Definitely... Eyeing her as a new wife. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. How would she end up? Who knows? Uh, we'd have to keep Alexander the Great and Henry VIII apart, I think. So the That's seating plan would be a difficult one. Carefully yeah. monitored. No, no, Kristen Scott Thomas, she'd never lose her head, though. Sorry. No. Uh, anyway, last one. If you could be any type of wine, what would you choose? Oh my goodness me. Well, you'd have to be. I'd be champagne. You'd be champagne. I really would, yeah. Why is that? Bubbles make me happy. I feel like I'd want to be overflowing with happy bubbles. (laughs) In my life, if I could do that every day, and I don't, it's a lesson to myself, it's a note to myself, be more effervescent, be happier, be more bubbly, um, because, you know, why not? Life's short. It is, it is, and we're not promised tomorrow. How about you, Peter? I would be an increasingly full-bodied red. Uh, <laughs> that's the way my life seems to be going, Natalie. So um, I don't know. I'd like to think I could carry off being something like a Brunello, which I know is a special kind of wine for you. Yes. Your first amazing wine, Epiphanies, was Brunello, wasn't it? So I've been thinking about that. 
Brunello or a Barbaresco or a Barolo, but I'd probably be more a kind of Shiraz that's kind of going a little bit loose around the edges, a little bit, a <laughs> little bit, you know, over mature now, a bit tired. <laughs> Sounds like something you could watch with The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's all I need to be. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to mention as we wrap up? I don't think so. You've been so, so lovely asking us so many lovely questions. Oh, you guys, I could go on for another couple hours. But anyway, it's terrific talking with you. Now, tell us where we can get in touch with you online. I think probably social media is probably the best place. So on Instagram, we're Susie and Peter. Twitter, I'm Wine Schools and she's Susie Barry. They're probably the best places to get hold of us. But other than that, we have our website, which is susieandpeter.com. Yeah, or the podcast, you know, if you listen to Wine Blast, yeah. then, then you can get in touch with us through that as well. Uh, we've even got that wonderful, the magic of speak pipe, that little button you can press and people can ping their messages across, which we've recently discovered and got very excited by. So <laughs> if anyone wants to send us voice messages, hopefully nothing so too on, angry. This is, this is uh, on, on the podcast page of our our website there's a little orange you button that, and you can yeah. just send us a message which is uh, we love to get yeah yeah that is great i'm going to post all of these contacts and your websites in the show notes for the podcast so people will know how to connect with you fantastic thank you thank you Natalie. well thank you susie Peter. this was a great conversation i just loved it i love your energy and your passion i'm i'm so pleased that more people will know about what you do who you are and get to connect with you now You're very kind. Thank you so much indeed for all of this. It's been such fun. Oh, absolutely. Okay, take care. Bye for now. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Susie and Peter. Here are my takeaways. Number one, I love how Susie and Peter pivoted with COVID and hosted their popular wine festival online. You can watch those video recordings of the sessions they hosted I'll link to that in the show notes at nataliemcclain.com forward slash 118. Two, I so agree with them that podcasts are one of the best ways to learn about wine. I'm biased, of course, but it's such an intimate medium that lends itself to more in-depth learning. Three, I found their discussion about English sparkling wines helpful, and I'm determined to taste more of them when I can find them going forward. And four. Susie and Peter make some excellent points on why the Master of Wine qualification is valuable beyond the studies required to achieve the credential. I love that probative skill of asking the question beyond the first question and challenging received wisdom. If you like this episode, please tell one friend about it this week, especially someone you know who'd be interested in the tips that Susie and Peter shared. Thank you for taking the time to join me here. I hope something great is in your glass this week. Post on social media about it, and you could win their prize pack. You don't want to miss one juicy episode of this podcast, especially the secret full-bodied bonus episodes that I don't announce on social media. So subscribe for free now at nataliemcclain.com forward slash subscribe. Meet me here next week. Cheers. There we go. Um, Thanks for tuning into this bonus edition of Wine Blast. Thanks to Natalie McLean for having us on her unreserved wine talk. Stay safe, drink well, and cheers. Cheers.